Listener Production. Our purpose is to unite the world through black tees, to create an equal playing field for all. At Black T-Shirts, we believe in life, your life. We believe in the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers. We believe wearing black tees in the dark, in the cold, in the heat, in the humidity, in the rain, and in the snow is part of the deal. And ultimately, unleashing the collective genius of black tees will make sustainable creativity a reality for all. We take this journey because it's in our very nature to innovate, create, and excel. Black T-shirts. For now, for always time. Welcome to Black T-shirts. It's a podcast that celebrates creativity and marketing, hosted by two black T-shirt wearing individuals from different sides of the marketing business. Me, Brent Smart, I'm a Chief Marketing Officer. And me, Adam Ferrier, founder of creative agency Tinkerbell. In this podcast, we talk to world-leading marketers and creatives about what it takes to drive creativity. And we explore the thinking behind their award-winning work and also subject it to... Focus Group. Let's do this thing. Today's guest is Leo Promutico. He founded the agency Johannes Leonardo 14 years ago in New York with his creative partner, Jan Jacobs. It's gone on to be one of the most awarded and revered independent creative agencies in the States. Johannes Leonardo's had a string of high-profile new business wins in recent years, including Volkswagen and Kraft Heinz and Molson Coors. And it was recently named on AdAge's agency A-list, which is no mean feat with so many great agencies in America. He's an Aussie creative who's made it big in New York, and we're wrapped to have him on the podcast. Welcome, Leo. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, mate. Where are you joining us from today? Joining you from 115 Broadway, our new space down in the Fire Dye in New York City. And the financial district is now becoming the creative district of New York, right? You're down there, Droga Five's down there. Yeah, we found a space that we just fell in love with. It's uh, just a great, very unique space that I think a lot of other companies saw and couldn't figure out what to make of it. And we've uh, come in and, and knocked a, a lot of walls down and, and just really opened it up. It's a mix between a, an Apple store and a church, as, as someone has actually <laughs> described it. And Leo, are you wearing a black T-shirt? I am wearing a black T-shirt, very proudly. Um, my black T-shirt is, is um, much darker than... I'd like to just, for the audience here, just like to let everybody know that Adam's T-shirt is actually grey. From what I can see, <laughs> it's it, it's old and washed out, a bit like Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Uh, Four ninety five from Kmart. Leo, apart from your black t shirt, what do you wear if you want to look and feel creative? Oh, I I I, I don't know. I mean, if it was that easy, if it was just as easy as the clothes <laughs> that you're plunking on, I think it would be our lives would be much simpler, wouldn't it? What about your curly hair? What role do you reckon that's played, seriously, in your creativity? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I don't know. I, 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 Mike, it, not having to worry about it, I guess, in, in, in the mornings and just being able to sort of walk out as I am, just leaving a bit of conditioner and that will do the job. So, yeah, that makes, makes the mornings a little less routine which is great when you've got a, a 13 and an 8-year-old who just seem to be incapable of getting out of the house at the at the right time to get to school on time. I don't think it's, it's happened once this week. <laughs> what were you like as a kid? And what were you like 
at school with the other kids? Oh, I didn't. Well, I didn't have this hair. Uh, I guess, unfortunately, unfortunately, I was a sort of a had gelled fringe. <laughs> And, I, and I'm probably guilty of wearing a mullet or two at various times, definitely a flat top. I did ask a lot of questions and I have these sort of glimpses of memories of teachers either being really annoyed or saying to the other students, you should ask more questions like, like Leo is. So it was on either end of the spectrum. That was, that's how I was, I think. Um, and do you still ask lots of questions, Leo? Is that still part of your sort of creative process and the way you work? Yeah, I can, I can still be very annoying. Uh, I can still, it is, you know what? And to some extent, I think it's a, when it comes to ideas, especially risky ones, I think it's a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a safety measure, but I will, because I think the more information you have or the more context you have, I think the better judge you become of a creative idea. And definitely when I struggle most at the beginning in trying to unlock something, it's usually when there isn't a clear definition of the problem. Leo, I reckon it's a, we're going to get straight into it, I reckon, because I reckon that's a really interesting point. I have long kind of rejected or rallied against the idea of having this brief, this one piece of paper that mm. sums up everything because I reckon it's mm. bloody, almost, it's impossible to get all of that context mm. in there and I think sometimes the, we get it wrong so often in our industry and there's so many wrong ideas get created before we get to the right one because people mm. just aren't in the business enough and don't have that contextual understanding enough of the problem. I mean, that, that really speaks to me, I think, because we were all around in a time where that one pager was, that was, it was really sought after, it was, it was really honoured. And it probably coincided with a moment in time when the industry and the work that we were asked to do was a lot simpler. So therefore the input could be in a much simpler form I think what's happened, I've seen it since basically day one of starting my agency, Johannes Leonardo, is I've felt this enormous responsibility as a creative to make sure that what we were doing was actually going to affect our client's business in a very positive way. Do you just want to give us a quick whistle-stop tour on how you got to where you got to? How, how I got into it. I was, um, both my parents were born in Italy and... I played a lot of rugby league. I played a lot of cricket, but 1990 was the moment where I, the world of soccer opened up to me with the 1990 World Cup and I fell in love with the game. And it's only in hindsight that I realised actually what I fell in love with as much as the game itself was the commentary of Martin Tyler. I just fell in love <laughs> with the way that he would use language and the context that he would give to this 90-minute game. He would paint, you know, the history that happened you know, before, around, and, and the future after it. And I, I remember, you know, taking one of those Sony camcords, you know, those flip things, and I would point it at the TV of a recorded game and I would speak into it to try and do some commentary, you know, <laughs> uh, you, know turn, you know, muting the television. And I cannot tell you how horrendous it was, <laughs> but it, it became evident to me that that wasn't going to be a career path for me. But the love of words and language started there and it didn't leave. And I, I was fortunate enough to have parents that um, were extremely supportive and gave me a lot of, um, I don't know, belief. In, even, even though it was sort of, you know, it, there wasn't, wasn't a lot of justification for it. They just made me, made me feel that I could always follow my passion. And I went to University of Charles Sturdon 
came out of it. I studied journalism, but came out of it being pretty sure that I wanted to try advertising because of the mix of psychology, production and advertising. And when I first, you know, got a tangible taste of it, what I loved is from the outside looking in, it just felt like a, it wasn't an industry that was beholden to hierarchy or levels of experience. That It was a meritocracy in a way that if you came up with the goods, if you came up with an idea, it could put you on, you know, level playing field or you, you, you could accelerate your career and stuff like that. So I fell in love with that. Yeah, I think look, at the end of the day, I was, I was just, I loved it so much that I always knew that I would persevere to, to make something of it. And then, Leo, of course, you went over to New Zealand, which, you know, is unusual for an Aussie creative to go to New Zealand. Normally, New Zealand creatives come the other way. And you worked at an agency that I also worked at, Colenso. In fact, I, I, I got to Colenso in 2005. When did you leave? You only sort of just left, right? I left Versace, I think it was 2003. So, yeah, just a couple of years before you. And I can tell you the legend of Leo Pimitico was very strong at Colenso when I was there. But how did that shape you as a creative and shape your career, your time in New Zealand and your time at Colenso? Big time, big time. Look, I was, I was very fortunate because I'd done the AFA graduate traineeship program. I, I, I won that traineeship program um, and Galwin Rudder was running it. And I was sitting next to Warren Brown at BMF for, you know, nine months or so when that, when that agency was, you know, 30, 40, 50 people as it was growing. So I saw some of that and I didn't, re- you know, realize what I was, you know, how lucky I was at the time, but I, I saw a lot, of, a lot of that happening. And then New Zealand was just, at that time, it just, it really spoke to me because I, could, I just, I was seeing work come out of there that just felt subversive in a way. There was a lot of ambient media stunts happening. There was a lot, there was a lot of work that I felt like if I imagined it, put it down on a canvas, it would be nothing between getting that idea out in the world and my ability to make it happen. And I just, looking back on it, what, what I appreciate about my time, there was not only the people, and, but it was, I was afforded the ability to make so many mistakes in such a short amount of time because we, we'd shoot three TV ads a day, you know what it's like. Yeah. And, uh, and I would get responsibility much you know, beyond my pay grade. So... That was, um, that was just so formative and I'm still so, so appreciative to everyone that I was lucky enough to work with it, you know, during those two and a half years. And would you say to any young creative starting out, get to New Zealand? Because as you say, it's, it's just a place where you can be really prolific. It's such an amazing place to be young and early in your career. When you, you don't have massive budgets or you, or you don't have, you know, you, you, you feel like, you know, this you know, to get something noticed, you have to come up with a great idea. There's something about forces you, especially in your early days, to make sure your ideas are bulletproof and make sure they're super strong as concepts. So I think that can happen lots of places. It can probably, you know, probably still happens more, more in, you know, in New Zealand to this day as it did then. So I would encourage anyone, any, any young creative to just, who are those creative directors? Who are those leaders who are going to give you the opportunities to be able to you know, sort of learn by, and sometimes just by making errors. And Leo, what do you look for in young creatives that you hire at, in your agency? I think it's, it, it comes down to just an ambition for the sort of work that you want to make and optimism for wanting to turn this small ask into something bigger. And then just being, you know, eclectic in, 
how you solve problems from the style of it, the perspective that you're looking at the problem from, and then the mediums that you're comfortable executing it. I think that if you're perseverant in this industry, you will do great things if it's combined with passion. Leo, every, everybody who's decent in advertising has worked at Colenso. Um, Except you, Adam. <laughs> well, I, I haven't, wor- <laughs> I haven't worked there, so it holds true, right? Um, there is something kind of interesting cultural going on there, I reckon, and, um, and maybe at your shop as well. How do you create that culture of creativity and what, what kind of vibe are you going for in the agency to maximise the creative output? It was um, the early days of that change of over at Colenso and, I, and there, was, there was just a, there was a culture of we can make this idea happen. There was a, the centre of gravity felt like it was around the, around the work and there was a lot of fun being had, you know. And I think the combination of all those things just led to a, a magical time. I wouldn't call it a golden era because the agency is, you know, for a long time and, and still today is doing fantastic, fantastic work. You, you try and, you know, take all the positives of the various places that you work at and translate it into, into a culture that is going to mean that as a creative person or as a designer or as a strategic planner or an account person or a production person that the agency can be a platform for you to do the best work of your career. So after Colenso, you went to London, Saatchi London, you met a guy called Jan Jacobs, who has been your creative partner for what, 15 years, is it? It's my, it's my, it's actually, it's mind blowing because Jan looks exactly the same as he did all those <laughs> years ago in 2000 and 2003. So it's 19 years. Yeah, and I've never been, math never been my strong point, but yeah, it's, I, I, 19 years, yeah. And he's still your creative partner. He's also your founding partner of the agency. Yeah. What makes your relationship with Jan work? What, 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 how do you stay in a creative partnership for 19 years? What's, what's the secret? Brent, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I hadn't, no one's put that 19 year number on it. And it's, uh, it's, so it, it makes me quite uh, emotional to, to, to hear it come from somebody else. It's one of the things I'm proudest of when you put the work to the side and, and, you know, the agency and things like that. It's, it's the relationship that Jan and I have. And I, I went over from Calenzo. We hadn't seen each other. I mean, we had a quick phone conversation. He'd seen my book. And he was head of art, Saatchi London, and I'd been in the industry for, I don't know, three or f- four years at a stretch maybe at that point. And we were put together in, a, in an office and we started working together. And the relationship has definitely, you know, changed because at, at that point I was, I was a very different type of creative. I was very prolific. I'd come here every morning and present like 100 ideas and 90 of which were probably off base. And look, I, I don't know. We've always, we've always respected each other's opinion. We've always been there for each other when, you know, when, when we've needed it. And I think we, um, I'd, like to, I'd like to think that we're sort of able to sort of put the ego aside and because we have the same goal, we're you know, happy to be wrong when it, when it matters. And I think that's just, I, I think, you know, that, that seen us get much, much stronger as a, as a partner in the relationship, it's definitely, definitely evolved over the years. How can it not? But it's one of the things I'm proudest about. And you're very different. Different haircuts. 
Um, different haircuts, but also <laughs> yeah. different personalities. I'm sure you've got different ways of looking at work. Like you struck me as two very different but complementary characters. Yeah, and may- maybe that's what makes us work. I think we're. I think we are probably very different in some ways, and then in others where we're very similar. You know, I've I've learned over the years. I've just learned, you know, a, a shitload from him. And then there's also moments where I've just been really proud of how he's shown up and and you know to call him my partner. So you've obviously created something special and been able to replicate that or build a business around that relationship. I guess if you like the work you guys do, and, and creatives hate people saying this, but I reckon it's got a particular style and everyone hates that because they don't want to be boxed into a into a corner. But you're um a lot of the work you do is stylistically really avant-garde and really artistic and kind of breaks the category norms in, in some kind of way. Do you agree with that observation around the style of your work and where does that come from and how does that fit into the idea? Look, I've always had I never want to assume that I'm smarter than the audience. You know, I've always had this respect for the audience and, and as a result, I think even in the early days, I've always tried to, I know I haven't always been successful at it, but I've always tried to create work that, that credits their intelligence and allows, allows them to feel part of the work because they can close the gap on what we're trying to communicate rather than bang them over the head with it. And I think that, that respect for the audience is, is probably what you're seeing in terms of the ideas that we, we go out with, how it's communicated, but also just how it's executed. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how strong a concept is, it's about what does it make somebody feel. Not every work, piece of work should make someone feel the same way, but you are operating on the spectrum of emotion in some capacity, right? And I think getting someone to feel something is where you're really getting into the nuances of the craft, whether it's sound design, whether it's editing, whether it's music, right? Whether it's cinematography. And therefore, maybe the style isn't is an, is an end result of that, but it's not like we're chasing a certain style. It's really, I'd like to think we're sort of, we're chasing how we want the person on the other, who's going to receive this, who's on the other side of it, how we want them to feel or, or react. We used to have a, a, a saying that the consumer's the departure point, not the end point for any piece of communications. And I know that your agency motto is the consumer yeah. is the medium, but that doesn't sound particularly uh, like respectful. Like I don't want to be a medium for KFC. I, you know, I just want to enjoy it. Like as, as a consumer, I don't want to be a medium for somebody else's message. Yeah. Maybe talk to me about that. When we started the agency, it was pretty, became evident very quickly that we, we couldn't really put any of our previous work on our, agency site, right? And we very quickly began to think about what is it that we stand for, we believe in, and what will stand the test of time, right? Because we suspected, and I like to think that this is unfolded to be true, that technology and platforms are going to continue to evolve. And we had no desire to sort of be temporary experts of any of those. We wanted to really get behind something that was going to stand the test of time. And what we've based the agency on is this idea that we need the audience not to be the end result or the destination of our work. We want them to partake in it, right? And what's 
I'd like to think what's happened since, you know, 14 years on is that that consumer has only become more empowered, whether it's their ability to have a voice about that brand, whether it's to co-create alongside them or to share, they've become more empowered. And if you look at the stats around, you know, Gen Z millennials and their ability to block advertising messages, that founding philosophy is only, I'd argue, only become much more relevant now. It's something we still very much believe in. And, and if you take the principle which we do that brands out there today want to make a difference in the world, right? Consumers out there also want to make a difference in the world. And the ideas that I've been proudest of are the ones where a brand and their consumer have a shared, have a shared mindset. They both want to make that same difference out in the world. In the last few years, Leo, you've picked up some really big, high-profile American brands, Volkswagen, Kraft Heinz, Molson Coors. What difference has that made to the agency, having those big clients, big brands? How's, how's it changed the agency? How's it changed your work? It's interesting that the, the thing that still gets us the most excited is not so much a particular category or a particular brand. It's, it's really that marketer on the other side of the table and their ambition to punch above the category, right, or the way that they value or believe in the difference that creativity can make to their business. And I, th- I think as, as you grow as an agency and as, as you sort of prove out the difference that you can make, you're going, you're going to get those opportunities across different categories. And, and what it's meant for us is we've been able to s- sort of step into Adidas Originals, for example, or whether it's helping to, you know, modernize a CPG brand like Kraft at the moment. It's just meant that we're coming up with the sort of ideas that we've always believed in, but we're, we're able to bring them to the world in a way that's going to have much more influence and Im- impact. It's easy to look at a category and, and think that work, great work is impossible, right? But when you look at it through the lens of here's what this brand can credibly say and align a great creative idea with that, I, I think you're so often surprised with how receptive marketers are. And we saw it come to fruition. And um, craft, craft today are the, just that but next level because they, they absolutely value and, and believe in the difference that creativity can make to, to their brands. And talk to us more about that, Leo. You've done some super interesting work on, on Velveeta and Oscar Mayer and sort of these legacy craft brands that, that in many ways seem pretty relevant to today's world. But obviously you're working really hard to make them relevant and, and, and make them, you know, to modernize them, I think you said earlier. Just tell us a bit about that journey you've been on with craft and the type of work you're doing with craft. What's been interesting is that we were tasked with doing multiple rebrands across a lot of their legacy brands kind of simultaneously. And it starts with what I was saying, <clears throat> saying earlier, at least from our perspective, right? It's, it's approaching these opportunities with the optimism that these brands are not, you know, brands that are stuck in the past. There was something that made them successful that can also make them successful going forward. But how do you reinterpret that magic that they had. And what our team has done with Velveeta is 
Well, I think just a fantastic platform, La Dolce Velveeta, which is sort of elevating, elevating that product to sort of a pride in the lifestyle, right? And the first work that's done has produced just great business results, not just, you know, the, the, the quality of the work that we're proud of, but the, the results of the campaign, the first campaign have, have just been, I think, beyond what we, what we and, and probably they, they, ima- they imagined. I think they had the, the highest growth that they've had in the last five years. Yeah, how do you feel about working on those sort of products? Do you feel like you can help craft, change those products, make them healthier? I mean, what's your view on that as as the agency owner? I think I think that adv- advertising ideas. I I really believe that they they don't just explain what the business is today, but they're also an indication of where they can go, and they act as a north star. So. I think the the best advertising ideas also influence the agenda of an organization. Yeah. Right. So I always always, you know, approach things through the from the perspective of we can have a positive influence, we can we can move brand or product to have to have a you know, to have a positive influence. I love the quote, advertising is the wonder in Wonder Bread. Uh, which is by <laughs> Jeff Richards. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool, right? You take one take one of these brands, God knows what it is, you spin it a slightly different way and you can make people look at it with awe and with, with fresh eyes, um, which I think some of your some of your work's doing. And I think you've also done it on a, when you get a brand like uh, Adidas Originals, which is bloody cool and it's got a bloody long history of being really cool, mm. to do something that makes people go, what the f- on a brand like that is no mean mm. feat. Do you just want to intro the piece of work which we're going to throw to a focus group? Baddaz Originals is an interesting story. We've obviously had a very long relationship with them and it started really as a product assignment. We got the opportunity to work on the anniversary of the Superstar shoe and it was just looking at where the product was and, and some of the previous work, we just felt that it was mirroring culture and when you looked at the history of the brand it's just had influenced and been at the forefront of culture for so much so our perspective was yeah we can we can advertise a product but what we really think we should be doing is we need to reassert this brand again what we landed on is that this brand has always been a brand that pushed up against the status quo to create is to is to challenge the status quo Right, and how we brought that to life initially was for the superstar shoe by talking about true superstars don't need external validation. In the second year, we did the same thing for the NMD shoe, which is all about this belief that the future is dystopian, it's not in our hands, and we crossed that out and we said that, you know, your future is not mine. And then the third year is really where we sort of, the brand faced its own biggest challenge, I guess, with the very notion of originality, you know, added as originals. The, the notion of originality was holding so many creators back, right? Because you feel like to do something original can't be anywhere close to anything that's been done before. And we just looked at it through the prism of, you know what? Everything's an iteration. Everything is an expression of something that existed before. So our thought for that third year was original is never finished. It's, it's ongoing. And actually, if you look at 
if you look at all the artists that you admire and that, you know, that we admire, there's always those dotted lines to, you know, what inspired them previously. And we're still seeing that happen today. And Leo, can you talk in more detail about the spot My Way, which we're featuring on today's show? My Way. So what we, you know, what got us excited was to demonstrate, bring that to life, right? Rather than talk about it or philosophize about it, can we, why don't we take the most overused, covered track, right, My Way, and let's prove that this can be done in a way that had never been done before. And so that, that was the, I guess, the, the spine of the idea. And, and then what we did with the film is tap into a lot of creators, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Snoop Dogg, Stormzy, a whole litany of, of great artists and reinterpret famous scenes from the past that have also been reinterpreted just like the song. There are so many layers to the spot that depending on you know, how familiar you were with those, you, you either picked up or you didn't. But the, the end result was, uh, I'd like to say, a film that made you feel something. But let's see. We've turned it over to a focus group. It's won a Grand Prix at Cannes. Adidas Originals is, you know, as a brand, is uh, doing bloody well. So it's a really interesting, good piece. I think it's a good articulation of what our industry is about. On this show, we like to put the work to a focus group and we do that through our friends at Askable who are very good at recruiting the right people and they've chosen some people. The edit you're about to hear is pretty representative of the uh, of the whole group. It's not great, but have a listen and see what you think. Focus group. This brand was more talking to me like, hey, let's commit crimes, let's be weirdos. When I saw somebody with a horse on its head or something like that, I just thought, what am I watching? It's like parallel of a horror movie. Made me feel scared and uneasy. Hatred at first. I thought, oh God, this is a millennial thing. It's for kids that just do nothing except post on Instagram. I don't think it was a good ad, especially at the end when it was added ads. It didn't match at all. And it looks really bland and boring. The brand should be from the beginning of the ads. If you can show some price on the clothes that they wear, so people have some idea how much you're going to sell them, this will be better. I think it's a little bit of a flop, a little bit too try hard. I got bored halfway through. If I was seeing this, I could have rejected it. I would have halfway through and wouldn't have ever seen who it was for. Didn't like the cover version of the song. I was like, what brand would want to see these like hoodlums walking around? Would it drive me to purchase? No, absolutely. I think it could have been better in promoting a more vibrant, happy, excited tone and image rather than this sort of dark, mysterious, uncertain type of vibe. More happy faces, smiling faces. It's saying we only want the people who are extroverts rather than those people who are just normal citizens or nine to five or following their sports stars. It just screams woke. I didn't get what do they want me to do from seeing that ad? What's that call to action? I think it will succeed at getting people's attention but fail at trying to make Adidas relevant to the general public. I would show less confronting scenes and just day-to-day people wearing their clothing and shoes and just living their life because then that way it's more relatable and relevant. Be loyal to those who have been customers for years. Have throwbacks. I would want to talk to more demographic than just this, but at a detriment of driving away hedge bets. Leo, well, just, just how do you respond to that, first of all? Just, just gut feel, what's your response? 
what I find interesting is the um the difference in in some of the comments themselves. You know, the one person feels it's com- it's completely bland, whereas another person feels feels like it's way too hyped or energetic. Someone who feels like they you know they would have seen the first ten seconds and then not watched it, and then someone else who feels like it yeah would have been good at getting your attention but not converting to sales. So I think. Look, the at, the at the end of the day, I think the brands that we admire are never built through consensus. They're formed through a point of view that a group who have an understanding and a vision for what the for what they want the brand to become have, and then are willing to go out there and take some risks and 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 do some things that are gonna gonna be different. So that anyway, that that's my that's my first impression, but. Interesting. And one of the things I heard was, why can't it be more positive? Why can't the people be more happy? Like, you know, we, and I think one of the, one of the dangers of that is you end up with those generic slice of life, happy people ads. I mean, which I hate, right? They're so generic and you see them all the time and they certainly don't move brands forward because everything looks the same, right? That's the danger in this, isn't it, right? If we listen too much to what consumers feel comfortable with, we end up creating lifestyle imagery that all looks the same and every brand looks the same, right? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. So I remember as a kid and you'd watch television and you'd, and you'd go, why is, why is it all so bland and why is it so, you know, uninteresting? And that you, I guess then you get sort of, as you get exposed more to the industry, you see some of the reasons why the work, you know, the, you know, work ends up like it does. If you want to speak to people deeply, it usually means that you have to take a stand. So Leah, obviously the Adidas spot was quite confronting for some people. And, 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 you know, you heard people saying, well, that wouldn't work on me, but the fact is it was incredibly successful, right? It worked really well for, for Adidas. Yeah, I think it was successful. Not not only in how it made people feel feel about the brand, but also just objectively in terms of the results for Adidas. I mean, Adidas Originals was one of the smaller business units over the years, became the largest business unit within the organization. Sales were up 45% the year of that campaign. Yes, it's a very, very successful piece of work. Can I ask you, just on the on that group, on research, do you believe in pre-testing? I think. Look, I think. Re, I think research is a very broad term, right? And I think there's there's lots of different ways to get reactions at various stages of the creative process. And I and I think some sometimes it's sometimes it's useful. There's been times when I guess we've got a reaction to things, and you don't you don't always necessarily you know react directly and take that exactly on board word for word, but you, you, you think about what's the intention of that, of that, of that comment and it may be, maybe you're just an insight or, or whatever it is. I think it's very, it's very difficult when you have a, a creative vision for how something's going to be executed and you're trying to get a reaction to a piece of paper or a storyboard or an animatic, right? Because even the finished piece of work and you've, you're in sound design and even the changes to that sort of level of if detail the difference that that can make. So it's it's really impossible, I think, to sort of to get a reaction to an end creative product when the thing's not not produced to the detail. 
do you think the consumer needs to be led or do you think you need to wrap yourself around them? No, I, th- I, I see it a little bit differently. I think I'm always amazed how when you, res- you go out with an idea that is based on an insight that respects the audience, how willing people are to get behind something. And to give you a couple of examples, right? We had a brand platform for Mass Mutual, which was a company that, an insurance company that had not demutualized. Our whole platform for them was this idea that reliance is not a weakness and that it's a, it's a strength. Our, our sense of community and being there for each other can be a source of strength. So our brand platform was Live Mutual. What we found out is that during the New York Marathon, 70% of the runners are from out of state and they don't have supporters in the, you know, on the sidelines when they need the most. So we created this app called Adopt a Runner and we allowed strangers to adopt a runner and support them during, during the race. And people, I mean, people got behind it and also willing to participate. So you go from an example like that to an example like we've just done for ZX, right? Which is a shoe that wasn't based on logic. It was based on feeling. They created this shoe that was just gave you a good feeling to step inside of. We got consumers involved to not only sort of, they helped us create the work because our creative directors were super clear on what sort of work we were looking for and they created, you know, from their living rooms and some of the content they made was as good as the content that we made, you know, and it's still an ongoing process for us, but it's it's a lot about mastering this art of participation. Every idea requires a different way to get people involved in it and not every idea that you put out in the world should ask for consumers to get involved in it in exactly the same way quote of mine that has only been ever requoted by myself is action changes attitude faster than attitude changes action and get people involved get people to participate and then they'll like the thing that they're participating with even more for having participated with it hmm. kind of feels a similar kind of vibe to what you're saying it's a sense it's a sense of ownership a sense of respect for what they can bring to the equation Leo, today has been absolutely fascinating and we're often on this podcast talking about the relationship of creativity and commerce and today I've heard a lot more around the relationship of creativity and the consumer or or humans and it feels like the summary, what I've heard from you a lot is you're a, I'll say like a creative visionary type of person who loves to create different avant-garde ideas that are on the edge but really enjoys bringing people in on that journey giving them something to participate in, giving them a sense of ownership and co-creation of that idea and then watching crazy things happen. Would that be a nice summary? It's uh, slightly too flattering, but I, but, um, <laughs> I think, and look, these, these, these things, you, you know, come out in conversation. I've really enjoyed the conversation today, guys. Um, it's been a fun one. You've taken me down memory lane which feels, feels, it feels a little indulgent at times, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's, been, it's been a fun one. Before you go, Leo, because this, you know, this podcast is called Black T-Shirts, and so we like to end with uh, a creative philosophy that if you're going to put a creative philosophy on a black T-shirt, what would it be? To stay on topic, my, my dad always left, has left me with a ton of very pertinent phrases that I, as a creative person, stick in my mind every single day, but to stay on topic, let's just go with uh, the consumer is the medium for this one. The consumer is the medium. So 
Leo, we, we're going to send you a black T-shirt. With- I thought you, the, the T-shirt was going to say, stay on topic. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like that. That, that, can be, that can be the back. Give me a two, two-sided T-shirt. So we're going to send you a black T-shirt, Leo, that says the consumer is the medium on the front and stay on topic on the back uh, uh, to thank you for being on our podcast. Good on you, mate. No, it's been awesome, guys. Really appreciate it. Hey, Brent, we're going to have to do another of those outro recordings. You can't have enough outros. Black T-Shirts is a listener production hosted by me, Brent Smart, and him, Adam Ferrier. Produced by Emily Toccato. Audio by Kelly Falston. Advertising produced by Matt Dixon and Tom Wood at the studio at SCA. And executive producer is Todd Stevens. And they're all wearing black T-Shirts. You nailed that one, mate. Listener.